Well, good afternoon, everyone. It's good to be here. Hope you had a good week. I was sitting on my patio this morning and thinking, you know, the longer I live, the more I appreciate what God did and think about God. God knew what he was doing when he scheduled a time every seven days where he says, okay, stop. Stop and get your rest and get a little more refreshed physically and mentally and spiritually. Uh, we had a good week, but it, I was tired last night, and I was uh, sure glad that we had the Sabbath. I picked up something recently that I thought you might want to know about. It's, a, it's an anti-stress kit, and um, before I show it to you, though, I, I'm, I'm curious, I'd like a, a show of hands, maybe, uh, if you could get an interesting, uh, if you could get a, an inexpensive kit to help you cope with stress, how many of you would be interested, just out of curiosity? Okay, some raised their hands. The rest of you who did not raise your hands, I can only assume that you either enjoy stress or you don't have any. And uh, I don't think it's the latter. I don't know of anybody who doesn't have stress, and I don't really know of anybody who enjoys it. So I just assume you thought it might have been a trick question or something, but uh, I think most of you would be interested in it. It's pretty simple. It says to lay it on a firm surface, a firm flat surface, and follow the instructions. And I don't know if you can read this well or not, but the instructions in the circle are lay on a flat circle and bang head here. And it says repeat step two, bang head here as necessary or until unconscious, and if unconscious, cease from this activity. Haven't used it yet, but if you're interested in one, maybe I can find one for you. But, uh, you know, it's one of those humorous things. If you look up stress, you will find quite a few things that try to bring you a little laugh and a little humor. But they make the point that no matter how much you want to or try to uh, escape to a stress-free world, it ain't going to happen. It's not going to happen. So the option is to develop a way to cope with it. You've heard a scripture referred to several times recently in everything from in accord to sermons. When Paul listed in 2 Timothy 3 the 19 traits that were going to present perils as we go into the last days, it is interesting that in the margin when it says perilous times, the marginal reference says times of stress. Now that is not a strict Greek translation, but it captures the thought that all 19 of those things that Paul lists, all 19 of them create stressful situations because all of them affect the relationships that we have with other people. They are all behaviors toward other people and affect other people, and if they increase, the stress worsens. And God is warning his people there that it's going to happen. It will worsen. It's interesting, later on in the chapter, as if to confirm that threat, Paul said in verses 12 and 13, that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You think, well, it's going to be stressful, and then if you're trying to do it right, that's going to make it worse. You're going to be picked on by people who don't like you trying to live a godly life. 
And then he goes on in verse 13, But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now that's stress as well, to live in the middle of a lot of deception going on, and it takes many, many forms. So given the nature of that prophecy in 2 Timothy 3, it is important for us to think about how do we cope with stress, the stresses of life, because we can be assured that life itself is going to bring greater stresses as society decays and as we grow closer to Christ's return. And simply by living in this world, if, if nothing else, simply living in this world is going to affect God's people. I won't ask for a show of hands, but how many of you have been stressed recently? I suspect most of the hands would go up. You know, I gave this sermon in Sherman three weeks ago, and the week following unexpectedly turned out to be very stressful to me. There was more than once during that week when I told myself, you remember that sermon you gave? <laughs> Go back and review your own notes, because I had to think about that several times. I think most of us, if your doctor ever asks you, have you ever had a stress test? You can say, yes, it's called life, because life is a stress test. And actually, one of, the, one of the most basic ways to cope with stress is to accept the fact that that is life. That's just life. Stress cannot be seen as something unusual, and so we should not stress about the possibility of having stress. It's going to come. Sometimes you can see it coming from a long ways off. You, you can just predict this situation is going to hit me one of these days, and it's going to be stressful. Other things just pop up. You get that phone call in the middle of the night, and it throws you into a very stressful situation. But expecting the stress in life helps you not stress about the possibility that you might have stress. But we do need to pay attention to how we handle it. Because unmanaged stress will create a lot of problems. Reactions can vary from person to person, but they will manifest. You, you, you'll, get, you'll get results from stress. They can be such things as apathy, withdrawal, depression, work dread, like you heard in the sermonette, anxiety, irritability, frustration, disorganization, burnout, overload, sleeplessness, and then all of those things, which are mostly mental and emotional, they too create further stresses on the physical life. Our bodies then can begin to show effects of the mental. So it's very important for us to consider. But the challenge to this sermon was, how do you take a huge, complex subject and reduce it to an hour's presentation of something that will be of particular benefit to us, to God's people. In other words, what is the spiritual element? What is the spiritual element that would be helpful for us? Uh, Google didn't help. Uh, if you went to Google, as I did a few days ago, and typed in the search box, coping with stress, you will see about one billion, 20 million search results. Think about stress, try to do all the research. There's a vast amount of research. And after a while, you begin to see a lot of it's repetitious. 
and a lot of it is common sense about coping with stress. Stating the obvious to you today about stress management probably would not be that helpful. You probably don't need anybody to tell you that, well, if you're under stress, you need to slow down, you need to get more sleep, you need to eat healthy, avoid drugs and alcohol, get some exercise, meditate, you know, all the common things you will see. You probably don't need that. Uh, those are good things, they're good reminders, they're good tactics. I don't mean to dismiss them or denigrate any of them. Those are things to do. But they don't address the spiritual. They do not address the most important. Here's the thing. When people are under stress, everybody copes with it. We all cope. It's just that a lot of people don't cope very well. In fact, many people do things that create more stress. If they don't cope with it well, they will do things to create more stress in their lives. I uh, was humored by something I read in a meme that said, uh, to relieve stress, I run marathons. And then in little print underneath, it said, just kidding, I eat cake. <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's the way a lot of people do. Another one said, remember, spelled backwards, stressed is desserts. I don't think that's coincidence. Well, you know, you look at these things, and they're humorous, they're funny, but in reality, it's, it's dark humor. It's a bit of dark humor because, in fact, many do eat to relieve stress. That's one tactic, is overeating. We do all sorts of things that, depending on the person, things that are immediately gratifying, things that offer us some escape, from the stress that we are, are facing. They are psychologically comforting, temporarily. It may be drinking, entertainment, gambling, you know, all sorts of escape tools to get away from the stress, temporarily. And of course, the ultimate escape, unfortunately, is suicide. That's the worst escape. But then, all of those negatives create brand new stresses. They deepen the stress in the long run. So the fact that we all cope with it means we really need to think about what do we do? What can I give you in this time? Well, the most important thing is to be reminded, to be reminded of what all of us in this room have in common. We are all different people. We all react differently, but there's one thing that we have in common that is the key of coping with stress, and we will cover that. Before we get to some of that, I would like to mention that the word cope itself is a very interesting word. What does that mean, to cope with something? Well, the dictionary says it means to deal effectively with something difficult, or to face and to deal with responsibilities, problems, or difficulties successfully, especially in a calm or an adequate manner. So it, that implies coping well with something. The etymology of the word cope is also quite interesting. It comes from an old Middle English word that means to meet in battle to meet in battle or to come to blows. 
Well, that's, uh, you think, okay, how did that word from the Middle English come down to us that way? Well, it, it makes you think for a moment to meet in battle. Coping with stress doesn't mean that we're not affected by it. It certainly doesn't mean that we're immune to it. But it means that we meet a situation that creates a battle in our minds. And we have to meet it in battle. It, it's a mental battle. And we have to deal with it successfully. We have to minimize the risk of that stress to ourselves or to others or to manage it in a way that it doesn't make the problem worse. In other words, coping with stress means that we face situational battles, but you win the war. You have to go to battle, but you win the war. Another thing to remember, too, is that sometimes you lose some of the battles, but you still win the war. That's the, that's the, the, the factor that we face. There is something else about stress that is quite important to understand, too, and that is times of stress are bad times to make big decisions. Times of stress are bad times to make big decisions, but ironically, those are often precisely the times that big decisions have to be made because of the circumstances that we're in. We're in big circumstances, and they require big decisions. So we have to be very alert to that, that oftentimes stressful times are the times that demand decisions, but you don't want to make decisions under times of stress, even if you have to, so we have to be very careful. It is especially important in those times to be spiritually strengthened, to be able to draw on the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind, because times of stress are the times when our thinking is threatened. Stress threatens our thinking. It creates a heightened risk of reacting emotionally instead of logically, of reacting foolishly instead of wisely, of acting alone instead of together, of acting carnally instead of spiritually. It is so important. It all goes back to our thinking, and thinking is where we need the mind of Christ. Very important, we need every spiritual resource that is available to us in terms of understanding in order to be in a position of strength when we find ourselves under stress, and sometimes that is a huge challenge. Sometimes we even need spiritual insight to recognize the danger of what we are in, the danger of being under stress and how important it is to react as we need to. So what can we do? Well, let's, let's study God's Word on that for a little bit. It's interesting, you won't find the word stressed in the Bible. It's not there, but you will find plenty of other related terms. And the word distressed is in the Bible very often. In fact, you find it so frequently that you realize, you know, if stress is one of those miseries that likes company, there's plenty, of, there's plenty of company in the Bible when you read the examples of people, of God in particular. Uh, for example, in Genesis 32, it makes the statement that Jacob was afraid and greatly distressed. Why was that? Well, you go back a few chapters earlier to chapter 27, and you read about how Esau, his brother, hated him. 
He hated him because in Esau's view, he had been cheated out of a birthright and a blessing. And in times of Esau's stress, Esau said of his brother, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. Well, that probably creates a little stress. You go to chapter 32, and quite a while later, Jacob reaches out to Esau. He sends his servants out to talk to Esau, and he's trying to find a little favor, hoping a little time has gone by, maybe he's calmed down. And his messengers come back, and he said, Esau wants to meet you. In fact, he's coming to meet you with 400 of his men. Well, stress level spikes once again. I'm sure it did stress him out. But you read in chapter 35 how God delivered him, and there Jacob says, I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me in the way which I have gone. God answered me in the day of my distress. Jacob was able to sit there and think about, you know, if I had it to do over again, there might have been a better way to do this. But we ended up in a situation of stress, and yet God brought me through it. There are numerous occasions in the Bible where God describes the Israelites as being distressed by their enemies. As he had foretold in the blessings and cursings chapter in Deuteronomy 28, he said, your enemies will distress you in your gates. Uh, that is, that's a collective stress. That's a national stress. Something that falls upon everybody in the nation at the same time. Have we ever had that? Think 9-11. Think Pearl Harbor. You know, your enemies distress you in your gates. So there can be group stress. But probably the most common is personal distresses. You read about people like Saul, who was subject often to a distressing spirit. Now, a lot of that was brought on by his own poor management of his emotions, his suspicions, his, his disobedience to God. Saul was one of these people, too, that... Uh, have you ever met a person that is a carrier of stress? <laughs> they may not feel it so much themselves, but boy, they sure put it on other people. Saul was a carrier. He put a great deal of stress on other people, his son Jonathan, his advisors, the priest, and especially David. Here was David trying to do what was right, trying to do what was right. And for years, he found himself in a steadily worsening situation, heavy stress. But in 2 Samuel 22, we find a long chapter entirely of a song that David composed in gratitude for God delivering him from the hand of all of his enemies and from the hand of Saul after years of stress. Let's go to 2 Samuel 22, 2 Samuel 22, verses 5 through 7. David wrote, in verse 5, when the waves of death encompassed me, the floods of ungodliness made me afraid. The sorrows of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried to my God. 
He heard my voice from his temple, and my cry entered his ears. Things ended up well, and David is now writing a song, looking back on it. But at the time, he said, I was afraid. I was being overwhelmed. This was hard. Saul handled his stress one way. David handled his another. Very different people. You have Ahaz in 2 Chronicles 28 that says, When the Assyrians came against him in the time of his distress, King Ahaz became increasingly unfaithful to the Lord. He did not handle it well. Stress was put on him, and he becomes more unfaithful to God. Some people crack in their relationship with God under stress instead of growing stronger. A few weeks ago, Mr. Burnett gave the sermon here about Esther, and he read the verse that says the queen was greatly distressed. There are a number of psalms written in times of expressing distress. Psalm 143, I won't turn there, but you can read it later. Psalm 143 is one of the most earnest pleas that you can read about somebody crying out to God for relief and help. It's David. And he used words like persecuted, crushed, overwhelmed, distressed. My spirit fails. You ever been there? Using, thinking some of those same words? You know, several times in the major and minor prophets, we see stress prophesied as a coming result of Israel's sins. This coming distress is mentioned twice in Luke 21, when Christ was prophesying about the end-time conditions. He describes the events that takes place, but he makes the point that these events will certainly distress people. How will people act under the stress of the events that are taking place? That's what's going to pose one of the biggest threats to God's people, is how other people will be reacting. It's interesting when Paul asks in Romans 8 and verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of God? The second thing he mentions is stress. He says, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? These things hold the potential to. Now, they won't separate Christ from loving us, but sometimes they separate us from loving God. Paul was one who knew his share of stress. It's interesting, uh, Barnes's notes on the word distress here in Romans 8.35, it says in the Greek, this word distress literally means narrowness of place. Narrowness of place. You're going through a tight place in life. We might call it today between a rock and a hard place. You know, it, it's tough. It, it literally means narrowness of place where great anxiety and distress of mind arises when a man does not know where to turn or what to do for relief. It refers, therefore, to distress or anxiety of mind, of mind, such as the early Christians were often subject to from their trials and persecutions. In 2 Corinthians, Paul wrote the church at Corinth in chapter 7 and verse 5. He talked about how they had been troubled on every side. And he makes this statement 
Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. Doesn't that summarize life sometimes? Outside were conflicts, things coming at us externally, but internally were fears. The reaction is internal. You can look up a variety of words in various translations, therefore, after you know, just citing a few of these examples. And again, even though the word stress is not in the Bible, it is addressed many times. And then you find the examples of people who dealt with it in both good ways and bad. At its core, what it tells us is that stress is a spiritual battle. Stress is a spiritual battle, and, and, and by that I mean spiritual in its broadest sense, uh, of the mind. It is of the spirit. All of us humans, all humans have a spirit in man, a spirit in man that determines the way we think and, and process and, and manage our emotions and react and respond. That's what I mean, first of all, by it's a spiritual thing. And to, it's, of, it's of the mind. Stress has to be dealt with as it affects the emotions and the mind and the thinking. But we have another spirit. There's the spirit in man, but Paul says we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is from God. We have the spirit of God, and he also said we have the mind of Christ. In his mind, in his way of thinking and managing emotions, of responding, reacting, and we'll come to see how his mind was. But in summary, God's word is very clear. Stress exists for a variety of reasons. It is going to worsen at the time of the end as conditions worsen. It's a battle that is fought in the mind, and we have the mind of Christ. But there are certain things we have to do with that mind of Christ. In 1 Samuel, let's go to 1 Samuel. And we'll start considering some of these key concepts and scriptures to build a foundation for coping with stress. Now, as you're turning here to 1 Samuel, I would like to ask you, who is your go-to counselor in times of stress? Who is your go-to counselor in times of stress? Chapter 30 here, while you're thinking about that, it's a very important verse. This is describing in, during the time of his years of, of flight from Saul. And while David and his little ragtag group of men were on a, a mission, there were some Amalekite raiders who came in and they kidnapped their wives and their children. And David and his men come back to find this tragedy. Their families are gone. Everything is burned. This was a group stress. They were all sharing the same event. And this had been on top of many other stresses. And this was about the straw to break the camel's back. Because it says here early in this chapter, David and the people who were with them lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. I would say that's pretty stressful. When you just cry so hard about something, you have no more tears left, no more power to weep. It's fair to say they were at a breaking point. But it would get worse for David. In verse 6, 
Then David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him. See what stress can do? They were reacting poorly. They, they were cracking, and they decided to do something that was not right. And then David, the one that's the target of their reaction, was greatly distressed. And the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and daughters. You can understand their grief. But in, in times of grief, they were making a big decision. You stone your leader? Oh, that'll really fix the problem, won't it? But the last part of this verse is very important. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. David strengthened himself in the, in the Lord his God. Who is your go-to counselor? Well, it's nice to have people with whom to share our loads. And that's a good thing. It helps us in stress. We are told to bear one another's burdens. And sometimes it is very helpful to have other people to share with. But our main go-to source of encouragement has to be God. Brethren, we have the same counselor David had. Same source of strength that David had. Now, one of the key areas of strengthening ourselves in God is to understand some things about God. We have an understanding, probably, of, of the power of God. But do we have an understanding and a remembrance of his understanding of us? Do we have a, a sense of being very assured of his awareness of us? And how that relates to having his mind. That's really important. What do I mean by that? Well, let's put it this way. Any trained counselor knows that when someone comes for counseling, it is very important to communicate with as much empathy and understanding as possible. The counselor has to portray to the person coming for counseling that there's understanding and empathy. So how is it when we turn to God? When we go to God for his counsel, does he have empathy and understanding for us? Can he relate? Well, that's one of the first areas of being strengthened, is in knowing that he understands stress. He understands stress, and he understands us. Let's go to a scripture that we're especially thoughtful of during the Passover season, but need to remember all year long. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 2. Jesus Christ at the right hand of God absolutely knows stress. Hebrews 2 and verse 18, we read, For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Well, stress is certainly a time of temptation. There are temptations to think and do a lot of things. How is he tempted? Well, I think our thoughts first run to him being tempted with sin, and that's very clear. Yes, he was, he was tempted with sin. 
He was tested with that. That's very clear in Scripture. But the word tempted in the Greek also means to try or to make a trial of or test for the purpose of understanding one's quantity or what he thinks or how he will behave himself. When you think of it that way, it's not only being tested or tempted with sin and will I stay sinless, but it's also being tested to see how we will think and behave ourselves under other tests. And stress is one of them. Stress itself is not necessarily a sin, but it will show how we think and behave. And it's a test in that way. Christ was tempted in other ways, such as being tempted by pressure. He was under pressure. Chapter 4, chapter 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. And again, not all weakness is talking about a sin. Sometimes we may be weak in courage or we may be weak in, our, in endurance. We may be tested that way, but he cannot, we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Christ was tested also with stress. To what degree was he tested with stress? To what degree was he tested with stress? Notice chapter 5 and verse 7. Chapter 5 and verse 7. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplication with vehement cries and tears. To what degree was Christ tested with stress? I guess to whatever degree causes vehement cries and tears. Anything that brings a person to that level is pretty stressful. Christ went through stresses in life. Have you ever been there? He was. What did he do? Well, let's go on. He offered up prayers and supplication with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. What did he do? He took it to his father. Prayers, supplications, godly fear, all of those elements working, but he took it to God. God was his go-to source of strength. And as verse 8 indicates, he learned things along the way. Now that, that last night before his death was not the only time he faced stress. All through his life, he was learning things along the way, and we will too. And all of those things were having a positive growth effect. Let's look at another admonition in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. 
let us, lay, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let us lay aside the weights and the sins. There's one thing to really remember about sin. It's not just that it's transgressing the law of God and earns that death penalty. That's the biggest thing, of course. But there's another thing. Sin creates more stress. Sin creates stress. It just does. That's one of the worst effects that we have in our physical lives here is the stress that sin creates. The weights that are on us, he says, let us lay those aside, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. How important is faith in times of stress? Who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God? For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. A lot of his stress came from that. Enduring hostility from sinners. Hostility is stressful, isn't it? We've all had to endure hostility from people for various reasons. Lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. He's telling us something here. Consider him. There's a lesson. Consider him or we will become weary and discouraged. Stress can be wearying and discouraging, can't it? So it means consider him. Think about him. Learn from him. Consider in order to learn from the way Christ handled life, and that's our source of strength. We will gain strength from that. He had to deal with the way that he would think about all of these things. Christ had to manage his thoughts. He had to think in a certain way. He had to know where he would turn for strength that he needed. He was tempted to become weary and discouraged. He understands that. Where did his faith come from? There's no other source of strength and faith than the author and the finisher of our faith. God was with him. And he set us the example of taking our thoughts and our concerns and our stresses to God. Let's look at some of the particular descriptions of his times of stress. John chapter 12. John 12. Verse 27, it's, it's breaking into the um, context here, but we'll go right, right to this verse. John 12, 27, he said, now my soul is troubled. My soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. So first of all was the admission. My soul is troubled. This is really troubling me. This is stressing me. And in a sense, he was asking, so what am I going to do? Look for a way to escape? Am I going to say, Father, take me? I don't want to do this. I'm out of here. No, I'm here for a purpose. That was not an option. So even Christ admitted, my soul's troubled. This is hard. 
I'm going through something here, and what shall I say? What is the right thing to say? Notice, uh, it's interesting that it adds in the context of this thought, the next statement is verse 28 when he said, Father, glorify your name. Now that's an interesting statement, isn't it? I'm troubled. What am I supposed to say? I have to go through this. Father, glorify your name. What was he saying? What was he doing in his thinking? That statement in verse 28 is very important because he immediately was making this all about God, not about himself. Father, glorify your name. I'm in this situation, but I want your name to be glorified. He never took his eyes off the desire to glorify God's name. What does that mean for us under times of stress? Well, I think there's a principle here. That it, mean, it means that part of our prayers is to ask God to help us so that whatever we do is a credit to his name. Whatever we do, we want God to be glorified. Part of our prayer should be that we don't want to disappoint God by any actions or thoughts or words that would discredit or misrepresent him. You know, being under stress does not give us license to do something that discredits God. Being under stress doesn't mean that we are excused from representing God in everything we do. That's one reason why it's so important that we, we hit times in life and we say, God, you know, help me work through this, but I want your name to be glorified. Mark's gospel describes him later that same night, Mark chapter 14, Mark 14, verses 33 and 34, Mark 13, uh, 14, Mark 14, 33, and he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. The pressure was on. He began to be troubled and deeply distressed. And he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. Now, at first reading at what's going on in his mind, what is happening here, one may think that his stress was all about knowing the impending scourging and death that he was going to have to go through. And undoubtedly that was, that was part of it. But that was, there was probably more to the stress than just that. I think there were other stresses added on to him. For example, how stressful was it for him that night to deal with other people? Not his enemies, but the men that he loved. How stressful had it been for him to have to talk to those men whom who he had invested so much time and love and energy into, and then have to look at them and tell them, one of you is going to betray me. You are all going to forsake me. That's not easy to have to tell loved ones. And to listen to them, deny that they would ever do anything like that. And even Peter telling him, promising, I will die with you. 
that, that's a bit of stress as well. Then it says in verse 35, he went a little farther and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Take it away from me. That's all I want. Take it away. I won't settle for less. This is the solution, and I want you to do this. Sometimes that's how we might feel like going to God. But Christ went to him, and he said, all things are possible. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Take this cup from me. That's how I feel. But what I want is for your will to be done. And that's more important than how we feel. But his feelings were certainly ones of stress. The cup was not taken away from him. But when you read the rest of the story, he coped so well. He never broke. He kept his head. He handled everything the right way. Everything that came in the next hours, he handled the right way. But undoubtedly, going to God for that help is what kept him centered in life. You read that evening and you think about your own life and, and you can ask the question, I'll ask the question of you, how does it feel? How, do, how does it affect your ability to cope with stress when you're able to get up from one of those heart poured out prayers? You've had them. Those heart poured out prayers and you finally end and you get up off your knees and you know that all of the things you've talked about and thought about and all of the possible solutions that you have put before God, all of your wishes and everything, the way that you would like it to be, everything you've laid out there to God that you have ended up at a point where you just say, but I put it in your hands. I put it in your hands. It's not what I will, but what you will. You know, there is a certain type of peace that settles over a mind when you reach a point when you say, I don't have to figure it out. I don't have to dictate everything to God. I don't have to tell him what the solution is. I don't need to tell God what he needs to do. I'm at rest with just putting it in his hands and letting it be his timing and let it be his solution and just knowing he's going to show me. He'll guide me. He's going to help me get through this. That is a, that's a type of peace that we'll read a little bit more later. Some people can never get to that place. Some people never get there. But this is where the mind of God comes in. You read about what he went through, and, and I'm convinced that a lot of what he meant in Matthew 11 had a lot to do with coping with stress. Let's go to Matthew 11 and see a statement he made here. This statement has a lot to do with coping with stress. Matthew 11, verse 28. Come to me. Come to me, all of you who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God has to be our go-to counselor. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn from me. We can't just go to God and say, take my stress away. We have to go to God and say, take my stress away, but let me learn from you. Because taking the stress away may depend a whole lot on what we have learned from him. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. There's a lot in that about coping with stress. Take my yoke. Yes, there are yokes for following God. Lest you get too concerned about it, I would also remember there are a lot worse yokes for not following God. The world will throw plenty of yokes on you too for going a different direction. But still, learn from me. There are things to learn until we reach the end of our lives. And then what does he say? Learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart. The Greek literally means lowly in heart or lowly, a person who doesn't rise far from the ground. <laughs> Interesting. A person who doesn't rise far from the ground. <laughs> We're grounded. It means humility, lowly in heart. If we learn, if we are gentle, if we are humble, he says we will find rest. There's a formula. If we don't learn, if we're not gentle, if we're not humble, what's the corollary? No stress relief there. You will not find rest. In fact, we'll find continual stress. Really important principles regarding understanding that when we go to God, he's been there, understands that, knows exactly what the solution is, and he's there for you. Well, one might say, well, uh, that was Christ, you know. He had the Spirit of God without measure. He was perfect, but I'm not that strong. Well, what, what, what about that? That's a valid question. Uh, what about us as human beings who have, have our weaknesses? Well, there are many examples in the Bible of human beings who had their weaknesses, who had their faults, and they were people of God, and they learned they did exactly what Christ said. They learned, and they, they learned how to deal with stress, and they learned how to practice it. Uh, we've mentioned David already. He, was, he, he offers a lot. He, David seems to be one who really came to terms with the lessons learned and with how to handle this. He, he writes a lot about it. And these examples show us that, yeah, real life, real people with real weaknesses can learn exactly what Christ was saying, and they can learn and grow into this position of spiritual strength where they can cope better with stress. Let's look what David wrote in a couple of the Psalms. Let's go to Psalm 34. Psalm 34. And verse 4. We'll begin here, Psalm 34, 4. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and delivered me from all my fears. Now, David, David wasn't trying to keep anything from people. David wasn't saying, oh, 
I'm, I'm, I'm the king. I don't have any fears. No, he, he went through some tough times, and even the king can get stressed out. Fear is stressful. But in verse 6, he said, This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps, around, encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. It's something you don't see. You can't see, but David said... These angels camp around God's people and protect them and deliver them. Verse 8, Oh, taste, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in Him. Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints. There is no want to those who fear Him. It doesn't say there's no stress. It just says there's no want. He won't leave you empty. Verse 12, who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking guile because that will create some self-made stress, not only on oneself but on others. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace. Pursue it. We sing this hymn. We've sung it for decades. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears, and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart, and saves such as have a contrite spirit. That's what Christ was saying. I am lowly in heart. Contrite heart, humble. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Sometimes those afflictions are stressors, and sometimes stress itself is an affliction. But these are things that David learned. You know, if David had been brought back to life and appeared with the 12 disciples that night of the Passover, he could have given a heartfelt witness to the truth of what Christ told the disciples that night. Christ told them, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. The world can give us physical things. Sometimes the world can give some pretty good advice about how to cope with stress, physically. But there is something that can only come from God. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be afraid. This is a learned skill. David had learned it. I think he could have told the disciples that night, it's going to be okay. But they had to learn it. And they did. They, they did learn it. They would eventually but it's not easy. We don't just turn on and off the, the don't let your heart be troubled switch. Oh yeah, don't let your heart be troubled. Click. Oh, well, that's good. It doesn't come that easily. It's a spiritual process over time of coming to a position of the way we think when we face troubling situations. He doesn't say here in the Psalms, do what's right, be righteous, and you'll avoid any kind of troubles. You'll avoid all fearful situations. No, he just says, 
Christ said, I will give you a peace that will help you navigate all of these things. And it's my peace. We're going to read something else about that in a moment. But is there anything else we're supposed to do? Well, Paul described in detail some of the factors that, going in, that go into bringing our hearts to a peaceful place and some things that are expected of us spiritually. He wrote some good advice in several places. More, it's more than advice, it's directives. And God inspired and preserved these thoughts and he intends these to be our go-to scriptures. We ought to have our go-to scriptures in times of stress. Scriptures that center us, bring us back to balance, where center our thinking. Let's go to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4. This is perhaps one of the most inspiring sections of all in dealing with stress. Philippians 4 verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Again, we go back to what did Christ say? I am gentle. Learn what that means. Are you a gentle person? Am I a gentle person? Uh Sometimes, some, some people aren't very gentle at times of stress. Some react pretty uh, stressfully. Verse 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. You have two words here that are just the opposite, nothing and everything. What does he say about those things? Anxious for nothing, thankful for everything. Uh, interesting statement here, isn't it? What, what all, how does that affect us? Well, in our prayers, he says, let your request be made known to God. Turn things over to God, but in the process of doing so, we need to find and not forget the things to be thankful for. It's really important because that helps us come to a place where we're not so anxious. One of these feeds off the other. Thanksgiving. Gratitude is one of the keys to lessening anxiety and stress. You know why? Because you cannot, it's impossible to be thankful without remembering things in the past. You cannot be thankful for something that has happened without thinking about what has happened. When you take the time to be thankful, you remember things that are good, things that happened. And what that does, it brings things into a certain perspective. It brings things into a balance. When we're stressed, our minds tend to go in one direction but it doesn't mean it's always in a balanced direction. Being thankful is one of the biggest keys to bringing us back to remembering, okay, what has God done before me? What has he done for me before? What has he, what has he done in the past? What has he made? All of the things that we could be thankful for, they help us come to a certain position 
that is really, really important. Everything with prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, that helps us reduce the anxiety. And then verse 7, and the peace of God, nothing humans can give, but the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. I can't explain it to you. You can't explain it to the person sitting beside you. It just is. There is a peace of God that passes understanding. It's hard to explain it, but it is there. It will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It's through thinking the way he thinks, letting this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. It's a positioning of the mind. This is very important, especially in times of stress when it's the toughest time to put our minds there. Was Paul some kind of a philosopher? Did Paul have some lofty ideals but was totally unrealistic? Was he just fantasizing? Not at all. Uh, Paul had been through plenty of stress. You can read that elsewhere where he lists the things he went through. Paul had been through far more stresses than any of us have. But he'd learned these things. Verse 9. I'm sorry, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. And this all has to do with going back to how we become anxious for nothing. There's a peace. It's part of the peacefulness. So verse 8 gives us the filters. When we're stressed and troubled in our thinking, to stop and say, okay, I need to run my thoughts through these filters. These things, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. They have to be done. It's part of controlling the mind. It's part of not letting our mind just go in some direction. It's part of bringing our mind into the captivity that has to do with the mind of Christ. These do, and the God of peace will be with you. This means the God of the of peace of mind. These do. This leads to one of the deepest areas of spiritual growth that one can experience and arrive at in this life. And that is verse 11. Not that I speak in regard of need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. That's a learned process. That takes place over a lot of time. You know, we all go to school. The way it works, in school, you learn the lesson, and then you have the test. You know how it works in life? You have the test, and then you learn the lesson. That's how life works. But as we go through life, and we have all these tests that we go into, these stresses, we can come out of them learning. And every trial that we go through, we ought to come out of it having learned something having learned a little bit about what works in our thinking, or maybe having learned a whole lot, but learning how to deal with life, how to cope with that. 
and we learn the lesson and those things build in life and we do reach points of spiritual maturity where we face situations that at one time would have stressed us out and at a now later on life we can handle them better. We know how to deal with things more maturely, more spiritually. It's tremendous. It's a tremendous place to get to. And sometimes we lose our way and have to find our way back. But it's a place where God brings us. Some people bounce from trial to trial and they never seem to learn the big lessons. And that's because they view trials as just something to get through. And once I get through it, then I can go on with my life. But God expects his people to learn big lessons out of each thing that we go through. And we, we see these lessons accumulate in life. And they affect our heart and they affect our character. And we learn to handle life that leads us to a way of simply being content. I've learned to be content, Paul said, whatever state I am. You say, yeah, I can be contented at the beach with a drink in my hand, spending my inheritance, you know. No, it means in times of trial as well. Verse 12, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And Christ will strengthen the way we think, the way we manage our emotions, the way we handle life. It's just the way that he is. That's the way God's way is. I hope this has been a helpful reminder that none of these things are really new, I don't think. But it's a reminder that life's stresses, life stresses will be with us. But coping with them spiritually cannot be explained any better than these words we read. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, going to God with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ.